Uh, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Joel Gallant. Um, I go here to Christ Central and uh, have been for the last 15 years, back when it was the meeting place, and uh, now here. I'm married to Becky, sitting in the front row. Beautiful Becky. And we're we married two years this August 5th, so right before my birthday. So I can never forget her anniversary. Uh, if you don't know, I'm, I'm an electrician by trade. I work in the construction industry. And uh, yeah, I've lived in Fairton all my life. Becky and I actually have an update for you. And we are really happy. <laughs> you guys didn't think it was that, did you? Oh. Uh, no. <laughs> no, in <laughs> I can see how you'd think that. I didn't, I didn't even plan that out that way, no. No, in the fall, uh, well, since Canada Day, I guess, Becky and I have really been feeling God call us uh, just to kind of change things up a little bit. Jeremy and Anne had a prophetic word over us at the conference that was just movement. And while we don't feel like we're physically moving place to place, we really do feel like Fetterton is where we're called to for the foreseeable future. Um, we've been really feeling God's call in our life to move um, into youth. And so in the fall, Becky and I will be heading up uh, fuel. And uh, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, really, we're really excited to do that. Uh, we have, uh, we were noticing as we were talking about it, we were just, we had this vision for it. And we were like, well, maybe we should think more about it. And then we kept saying, oh, we're just talking about it. We're just talking about it. But then one day Becky's like, I was just thinking about a really great kickoff event for Fuel that we could have. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I was thinking about the first like couple months of talks for Fuel. And we were like, maybe we should do more than think about it. <laughs> so Becky, um, for you don't know, she's a teacher. She's a high school English teacher. Um, but this year and last year, she's been at uh, Bliss Carmen Middle School. And uh, so Becky, I mean, is an excellent teacher. She also has her master's in counseling. So she brings um, just a whole lot of skills that are really uh, valued when, you, when you're talking about guiding the next generation. And uh, we've both done youth work before, Becky at Brunswick Street, and uh, I've done fuel here in the past. And I bring about 15 years of having an incredibly deep and loud voice. So probably <laughs> just as much an asset, right? Um, but we've really been shaped by excellent youth work, and Mark Seifer um, was a big impact on in our lives at Brunswick Street, and uh, Christy Short, Joe and Angela, my mom and dad, Gary and Barb Gallant, when they were um, doing the youth here. And so we really feel um, just called. And uh, so if you want to pray for us, that'd be great. Uh, we just want some prayer for um, the team that God wants to raise up around us, um, because it's not, we're not building towards us kind of thing. We're building towards what God wants to do. And so we don't want to see us just kind of moving in here and then in a couple years maybe moving out and then it falling apart. We want to see people catch the vision of just for pretty much for what Brent's preach was about last week so that the next generation may know. We want to catch people up in that vision so that they can bring the next generation up and so on. So if you want to pray for our team, um, that vision, and just that we would grow. We don't want to, you know, we're, we're fine with meeting with a couple of people, but we want to reach a lot of people and show them about just the, the greatness of God and his love for them. Um, so yeah, if you could pray for us, we'd love it. This morning, though, um, I want to talk about Psalm 27, and uh, I'll give a little bit of context for it, and then I'll read it, and we'll pray and dig into it. So this was a psalm written by David, who was a king of Israel, although it wasn't written by him when he was a king of Israel. It's, 
It's not exactly clear when it was written, but the kind of two big ideas are maybe it was written when he was hiding from Saul. So after God had removed his anointing from Saul and Saul was chasing David, wanted to kill him, maybe it was written then, or maybe um, after a big battle or before a big battle. So pretty general things for David because he was always in a battle, it seemed. Um, But David was looking to God in this psalm amidst a lot of chaos. And so we're going to read it and you'll see what I mean. Um, And we read about how David placed the presence of God at the top of his priority list. And so this morning, um, we're not so much going to do a dissection of verse by verse by verse by verse, but really we're going to observe the text and, you know, we hold the word of God high, but we want to gain some insight into a biblical principle this morning. And so that principle is living and worshiping in the presence of God. And so I'm going to just put the uh, verse here up on the screen and we'll read it and we'll begin. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord." Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. God, we want to come to you this morning. God, we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, God, to make your word alive to us today. God, give us the wisdom to apply this to our lives. Jesus, I pray you would help us to recognize that you have goodness for us, God, and we, you have, we have favor in your eyes because we're your children. God, I just pray that this would be an encouraging word, God, that it wouldn't be um, a heavy word, God, but you would just encourage us by your Spirit. Amen. Oh, I missed part of the thing. Wouldn't that be the way it goes? (laughs) We'll come to that at the end, actually. It's a really good part to end on. So, we're going to look quickly at uh, a bit about David. So we start out uh, in verse 2. David's looking around at his circumstances, and he sees some pretty big things coming around him. Uh, Evildoers assailing him, an army encamps against him, war rising against him. But David sees all of these things, and if you remember, years ago, Jeremy Simpkins preached a message on David and Goliath, and he's like, David saw a big God and not a big giant. And we see the same thing coming out here, where David sees all of these things are surrounding him, but then he looks to God. What's the first thing he does? He goes into the house of God. It's, it's quite a picture to see an army encamped on your doorstep, and then 
you don't rouse your army to defend yourself right away. The first thing David does is he retreats, actually, into the presence of God. And it's a quiet place. We get that from the pictures that he's painting for us. He goes in there to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And we're going to talk about what that means in a little bit. But it just paints this picture of a quiet resting place amidst all of this chaos. So why does he go there in the first place? David goes there because he knows that God is great. He knows that God is big. And like a child who's playing in the yard, when a strange dog comes into the yard, that kid knows I can run inside and I can get my dad and he's going to help me. But he doesn't just rest in the fact that he knows that's the thing. He goes, dad, come out in the yard. There's a scary dog. We had a dog named Tyson growing up. Tyson's in the yard. And the dad would hear the call and he would run out in the yard and he would go and protect his kid. And so we can't stop at just the knowledge of the fact that, yeah, we've got a God who's going to protect us. We've got a God who watches over us, but we need to run into his presence. We need to go to God. And so David knew this, and he knew that he needed God to go before him. We read in the Old Testament in a lot of different places that when the Israelites didn't put God first, and they didn't have the presence of God going before them, it was disaster. They were annihilated, and they were imprisoned, and they were made slaves. But when they put God first, and he went before them, victory was ensured. Protection was ensured. And so David needs to assure himself of the presence of God going before him before he goes into battle here. And so he says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this will I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire into his temple. So not only do we have a great need for God, but God actually has a strong desire for us to be in his presence. We read in verse 8 that it says... uh, you have said, seek my face. And the Hebrew word here for seek is, is kind of using a plural sense. It's a word called bakash, which, um, which means to seek in all kinds of ways, kind of from the depths of your heart, from every part of your life. But it takes on a plural sense here. And so we see God saying, seek my face, but he's not saying, David, seek my face. He's saying, my people, seek my face. And to this big corporate call, that God puts out here, David has a, it has a personal response, and David responds saying, your face, O Lord, do I seek. So David knows his need for God and responds to the call that, David, that God makes on his life to make God his highest priority. And actually, just to illustrate the point a bit further and maybe how it can apply to our lives, we, it reminds us of another person in the Old Testament who was sought after by God and who God called to put first. So we read about Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham was very old. He was old enough to be um, his son's grandfather when his son was finally born. But before that, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they couldn't even have any kids. But yet God spoke to them this massive promise that said in Genesis 15 that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so you can imagine just the how frustrating it must have been for Abraham to hear this promise, but yet have no real way of realizing it on his own power here on earth. And so you read through a a bunch of situations and very poor choices on Abraham's part, but eventually Isaac is miraculously born. And Abraham kind of rests easy knowing that all of these prophecies are going to be like fulfilled in Isaac. 
and we read about Abraham's just strong affection for Isaac in it. And then all of a sudden, during Isaac's childhood, God commands Abraham, says, go up onto a mountain that I'll choose for you. Go up there and sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. And we don't read it, but it's, it's, you, can, you can imply it that Abraham is probably crushed at this command. All of these promises that he had from God, all of these hopes and dreams are erased because God's saying, go up like Burnt offering doesn't mean anything figurative. It's a literal thing. Go lay your kid on the altar and make him a sacrifice to me. It would just crush him. But despite his pain, Abraham obeyed God and made his way to the mountain. And as he laid his son on the altar and he raised up a knife, God called down to him and said, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your only son from me. And then, as, as God said that to Abraham, a ram appeared in, the, in a brush. His horns were caught in the brush, and he took that and sacrificed it and said at the command of God. And A.W. Tozer has a great insight into this little story um, that um, I read in The Pursuit of God. He says, to the wandering patriarch, talking about Abraham, he sa- God says, in effect, it's all right, Abraham. I never intended that you should actually slay the lad. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. And so we read that really God had no intention of destroying the promise that Abraham, that he gave to Abraham. He wanted to have the chief place in Abraham's heart. And God's really serious about the call that he has for us to put him first. And so we see David saying, one thing do I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord. And then he talks about gazing on the beauty of the Lord. And I've read this part a bunch of times. And beauty of the Lord, before I kind of got into it, it was a very strange sentence. And I couldn't quite understand it. But I read that it's actually not talking about the physical beauty, because who is seeing God? But it's talking about Um, it's an expression, and it means to contemplate the glory of God's character and the richness of God's goodness and favor to his people. So you can see why they say beauty of the Lord instead. It's much shorter, way more flowerier. So, um, but it actually gives a lot of insight into what we do in the presence of God. And so, the first thing is about God's, the glory of God's character is he's worthy of our praise. Andy led us so well this morning, and I like it when Andy leads because he'll let you sing all the words in the normal way, and then Andy just kind of shouts out his own words over top of you in a different order. And, but it's, it's because he knows that God is worthy to be praised, and sometimes we don't want to follow kind of a set way of doing it. Our heart explodes at the fact that we're worshiping the living God, and we can't help but worship him in a different way. And Like, God's character alone warrants us lifting all of our voices. Just who He is alone. We sang about it this morning. He's the one who saves. He's perfect. He's our light. Reading here, He's our fortress. He's our protector. He's the only uncreated one. God's character alone is what stirs us up. And it's not a mistake that a lot of the songs we sing on a Sunday morning start with these things here. We start declaring 
things about God. Because we need to focus ourselves on who God is, and that starts to stir us up. Yes, God, you are perfect. God, you're the one who saves. God, you saved me. Thank you, Jesus. And what's more is it's not just the character of God that builds us up, but it's that he's good to us. He shelters and he protects us. He'll never leave us. His love endures forever. And he loves us in the very best way because he is the one who created us. Becky and I have talked about this a lot, how really when God was bringing us together um, before we were married, God really spoke to us in ways that he knew would speak to us the most. And so if you get to know us, you can kind of find out what those things are. But it just blows your mind that God says, you know what? I created you and I know everything about you. And the way that I'm going to show my love to you is the way that it's best for you. And so when God calls us to put him above other things, like he called Abraham to do, he's not looking to turn our life into drudgery. My mom used to say, I'm afraid that if I commit my life over to God, he's going to send me away to be a missionary in Africa, and I don't want to go to Africa. But that's not God's heart. That's not God's heart. He's not waiting for you to turn over your most cherished things on earth and make your life miserable. But we read in 1 Corinthians that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And when we trust God and we put him in the throne of our hearts above everything else, we don't have a guarantee that we'll get what we want, but we do have a guarantee that we'll get what is best for us. And so David knows these things. We can read it in the psalm. And then I love how David brings it together. I'm not very good at clicking the clicker. (laughs) David just does it. He's, God says, seek my face, and David responds, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. David just does. He makes a deliberate act of the will to enter the presence of God, and we've got to choose that too. We hear about it more Sundays than not. We hear there's a choice you have. You can stay over here, and you can decide to not worship God, You can decide to do it on your own, or you can choose to worship God. And it's not just something we've made up because it sounds nice, but it's actually read about in the Bible that that David says, your face, Lord, do I seek. David heard God's invitation. We hear God's invitation, and we choose to be with God, or we choose not to. And it's not always easy to make that choice. I mean, we have a thousand things spinning out of control. You might think that this morning, you know, there's kids running around, and you're like, oh my goodness, how can I concentrate on God? But that's a value right here. We want kids to grow up seeing people worship God. We want to see them worship God themselves, and we need to just put those distractions out of our mind for a second and say, okay, time out. I need to take some time. Jesus, I just need you now. And in our life, I mean, work is busy for everyone. We have families, and we have friends, and we have kids, and we have spouses, and we have expectations, and everything like this, and we're tempted to say, I don't have the time. But we've got to pause, and you just got to take a minute, because you can spare a minute, and you say, God, would you hide me in your shelter? God, would you teach me your ways, restore my soul? It only takes a minute. (laughs) And soon, when you take that minute, it's not like God's just going to be like, okay, nothing. God responds to us in his presence. When we go into his presence, he speaks to us. And Becky has a great illustration about this idea 
of having a value and knowing your value and then what you do after that. So it's an idea, it's kind of like a tennis player. They're putting their weight on their back foot and then they're going to come forward and they're going to take a big smash. But you can't really do that from standing right here. You don't have very much power. And so when you're on your back foot, when you establish value of God's presence and how important that is and how he calls us to it, we're establishing that value on our back foot and it's enabling us to come forward and do it. It's, it's enabling us to come forward and apply this to our life. So it's not enough just to know about God's goodness. It's not enough just to have a knowledge of his presence, but we want to be in his presence. And this morning, Andy led us well into that. And when we were singing that song, we have found our hope, his love endures. Like, those are times when you, you just know that the presence of God is here. I mean, the presence of God goes before us anywhere, but it's a tangible sense of God's presence. We love to be there. And so sometimes it can be um, maybe we're not used to being in the presence of God. You know, I'm a, I'm a Martha. <laughs> if any of you are Marthas, we like to do a lot. And so when you're in the presence of God, sometimes you're like, okay, next song. Okay, <laughs> sing the bridge again. This is too quiet and there's not enough going on and it can feel kind of awkward sometimes. But really, we need to learn to linger in God's presence and, and, and why, what we do there. I want to talk about that a little bit. So one of them is we can just reflect on God. And so salvation, we can reflect on that. Once we are not a people, now we're a people. Once we are in the kingdom of darkness, now we're in the kingdom of light. God, you're so good to me. God, you moved me. God, you gave my life a purpose. God, you gave me an eternity. And we can, we can think about our identity now in Jesus. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has passed away. I mean, that's like, that's just not something we say. We live it. You know, it's a good truth. It's good news. God, you're merciful. And now we have an inheritance. Jesus, you're glorified. You seat at the right hand of the Father, and you send us the Holy Spirit to empower us to be more like you, to tell people about your love. We can do those things in the quietness, you know, in that, in that spot, in the presence of God. We can think about salvation. We can thank God for it. When we start to focus our mind on Jesus, that stirs up our faith. Oh, God, you are worthy of my praise, God, for all these things you've done, God, for all that you are. God, you give to me so freely. It stirs us up. We make a choice to come to Jesus, to focus on Jesus. And, some, and then God responds. Like, it's like you put your toe in the water, and then you get all the way in. And God, we can delight in the goodness of God. And we saw it here this morning. I mean, we experienced it together all the time, but this morning was a great example. God revealing aspects of himself when we worship together. And there was, you know, we have scripture, we have the prophetic, we have tongues and interpretations, we have songs, we have encouragement, and we're stirred up. This morning, Aaron brought a tongue, different language, we don't understand it, but it's a prayer from us to God, and if there was no interpretation, it wouldn't be very beneficial. But then Tiffany, great job Tiffany, came up this morning, and she gave an interpretation to that, and it encourages us, yes, and Robin brought this prophetic word, just another one of encouragement. God's just showing his heart that he doesn't give up on us. And so we don't want to give up on him. And when these things happen, it stirs us up. 
sometimes we're, we'll be in worship and it's, it's not all the time, but I can remember at one time we were at Green Hill Lake Camp and everyone had this massive dance party and even Kevin was bouncing. And sometimes God stirs us up to laughter and that's, that's okay. We don't have to be stoic about worshiping God. How can you worship in spirit and in truth if you're stifling some part of you? If you're saying, this is really affecting my life. You know, I'm glad Jesus died for me. Yes, the joy of the Lord. Like, how can, we, how can we say that's a truthful representation of what it means to worship in spirit and in truth? We don't want to be ruled by our emotions. You know, Paul says, you know, let nothing master me. We don't want to have this big ride and let it be manipulated by music or by people raising their voices in like a theatrical way. But we do want to have an emotional response to what God says. That's biblical. David, I mean, everyone keep your pants on, but David was naked before God jumping, right? So we don't want to go that far, but we do want emotional response with God. It's good. What about when you're standing there and God just, just is driving home his mercy to you? You're like, oh God, I'm such a sinner. God, I've done nothing to deserve you, but you love me anyways. And sometimes it just makes us cry. Sometimes we cry for those reasons. Sometimes we cry for the perfection of God. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we just want to shout. I mean, we've, at Deneen, I can remember one time in particular, Becky and I were staying together. We were dating, and Keith was the loudest, but we were all like, God! And it was this time where it necessitated that. It wasn't a time of, you know, quiet. It wasn't inappropriate. It was a time where we're excited for what God is doing. We're propelled on mission and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. It's glorious. And if we don't respond with our emotions, not out of our emotions, but with our emotions, then we have to reevaluate, like, what are we doing? (laughs) And it's really tough when you're a Martha, like I was saying before, like me, we're lingering in the presence of God. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes we shout. Other times, it's quiet. Other times, we wait in the stillness of God. Other times, it's the peace that just drops in our hearts. You can feel it sometimes. It's wild. Like, at the conference, in, like, it was these rooms, right? At the conference, it was amazing. It wasn't a show. We didn't have enough money to put on a show. <laughs> but the presence of God was there. People's lives were changed. It wasn't flashy. There was no lights. Lou wasn't like an overly theatrical person. She just led us in the presence of God, and people's lives were changed. And if you stood there in the quiet, you just knew that God was with us. And so Robin's word really should encourage us, don't give up seeking God. Like she said, don't give up. If you failed before, don't give up. And so we don't want to give up seeking God. You know, sometimes we can get out of the habit. Sometimes it can, we can kind of fall the wayside. But let's not give up. God's love doesn't give up. His enduring love pursues us. And so finally, we're allowed to enter into God's presence all the time. Back when David was writing the psalm, It was only for some times, for some people. That was the old covenant, right? But now Jesus, who died on the cross and paid our debt, paid for our sins, we're now forgiven in the sight of God. Our sins were what separated us from being with God. We we weren't perfect, and God can't 
be with anyone who's not perfect. But then Jesus died for us, and he allowed us to take on his perfection, to take on his holiness. And now God sees us through Jesus, and we're allowed to have access into his presence. And so we're going to take communion today, and we just want to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. I want to give him our thanks with our worship and just say, God, it's so good to be loved by you. God, that you made a way for us to come back to you. So let's just pray. God, would you help us by your Holy Spirit to do what we believe? God, would you help us to shift our posture from a knowing posture, God, and you establishing this value into spending time in your presence, God. We value you, God. We hear your call to seek your face. And God, we want to seek your face. My heart says, I want to seek your face. God, would you just increase our desire for you? Would, it make, would you make it insistive like David's was? David insisted on being in your presence. God, make me like that. Make us like that. God, would you continue just to reveal more parts of you in worship, God? We want to know the depth of who you are, God. We want to know new things about you, Jesus. We want your word to be made alive to us, God. We want to encourage us, God, and to build us up. God, we want to propel us to mission. God, you're so good to us. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done, God, that we come back to relationship with you. Thank you, God. Amen.